coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss Hurts, don't it? A new family of side channel attacks. Next up, decoy oy oy oy. Chinese attackers use ransomware as decoy for cyber espionage. And of course, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 125, recorded on Monday, June 27th, 2022. I am your co-host, Callie Pun in a Million Fencil. With me is co-host Tim Syke Helming. And last but not least, Taylor, nobody makes me hurts bleed my own blood, Wilkes Pierce. Hi, everybody, and welcome back, Taylor. It's been a little bit. <laughs> and once again, I, I'm a, I'm sitting in for Kelsey, who has uh, taken a very deserved vacay. <laughs> indeed. I, I bet she's not taking a vacation from pun generation. If anything, it's probably even, oh, no. even more. No, I bet she's just yeah. improving it. And I think she said it was a road trip. So, I mean, man, it, you know, it's like you're, st- you're in the car. If you're not a huge pun fan i mean that's just going to be a long ride i mean even if it's only an hour it's going to be a long ride but but i bet she's got her uh family friends whoever she's traveling with well versed in what like they know what they're in for oh yeah and i bet i bet she's going to come back and she's going to have some some new puns and we're just not going to be able to keep up no not at all we should like speculate on on how unusual situations and how Kelsey would deploy the puns. Like she gets picked up by the FBI and you know, she puts, she's got puts it put into some FBI van or something. They think she's been up to nefarious business. Is she going to have them like in, in tears, like begging for mercy by the time they get to wherever they were going to go and they just let her go. Like (laughs) just make it stop. (laughs) I mean, we all love puns we love people who love puns, but there are some out there who just, you know, they don't, they don't get it. I don't want to know those people. Those people are no fun. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, maybe we should, uh, should we get into it? I think we should. I uh, think there's been some news in the cybers recently, you? hasn't there? Yeah, it's like they never, they don't take any vacays. So, I guess. Collectively, no, they do not. I know. They must be a very tired group of people. <laughs> <laughs> not tired enough i know i want them more tired i know well we can we can get started with hurts don't it a new family of side channel attacks so taylor a new vulnerability has been discovered in modern intel and amd cpus that allows an attacker to obtain secret keys by analyzing the power consumption from the target cpu and this this is completely new to me. I don't know. I don't know if it's completely new to our listeners, but um, yeah. What, what do you think? Do you think it, this is this is news to a lot of folks, or or what? what? <laughs> Maybe not. You know, it's interesting. Well, not news, right? So, like from a uh, like side channel attacks are kind of using information you can gain from a system uh, to like deploy weaknesses against that system. So in this case, uh, you know, processors can run at variable frequencies. Uh, And so this is something like these, like theoretical attacks around this have been around for decades. This is not a new thing. Uh, And so the the last time I was on the show, we talked about speculative branch attacks, 
which are kind of using uh, the different branches that a processor might run down, uh, you know, in, in terms of speculative execution to try and derive information out of those branches. In this, we're kind of looking at the noisiness of, of a process or what the process uh, ends up using from a frequency perspective off of a processor um, to try and gain information about the process that it, it itself that is being run. Um, so side channel attack is kind of using something from outside of the process to gain information from what's going on inside the process. And it's something that's, uh, you know, because they're not relying on necessarily a flaw in how the process is run itself, it becomes very tricky to uh, defend against in, in some cases. Yeah, like like I was reading in the, the article that, well, I don't know if it was in the article, but I was trying to do some other background research so I could understand it. Um, that maybe some of the, some of these attacks come from a USB drive. Is that true? You know, there's a number of ways um, that something could be delivered for this USB potentially, right? You, um, this is one where uh, this like another. I'll back up a little bit because we don't get a lot of like named exploits. <laughs> you know, we have had Heartbleed in the past, which is um, a variation on this theme theme for sure, uh, and that's why I think the Hertz bleed. Uh, domain itself was, I guess, available and take it. Um, in this case, what we're looking at is like the, the speed at which a processor is running and, and deploying a process. So when they talk about hertz, you know, we're used to now many, many multiples of, of gigahertz in our computing powers for each of our cores. But back in the day, we had kind of single hertz. I think the, the first machine that I was running on was a 4.77 megahertz machine um and then if folks will remember if you had like a 486 33 megahertz pc there was often a turbo button you could press that would kind of double the voltage going through that to double the hertz to to 66 megahertz um this is kind of using that um that turbo button they kind of built some of that stuff into the processors at a certain point um so in modern processors uh, you know, they all have kind of multi gigahertz, multiple cores, but you don't need them to run at full speed all of the time. So they will essentially clock themselves down and run at a lower frequency, lower speed to consume less power. And it turns out that if you are kind of watching um, the, the frequency that a process is running on uh, over a long enough period of time, if you can force it to change that frequency. So if you say, hey, all of a sudden we need to calculate a much you know, stronger hash or stronger algorithm that we're, you know, like uh, or more um, kind of intensive workflow, it'll crank up the voltage to that core uh, and then increase the frequency and the, and the hertz that are applied to the process. And if you are able to observe those over a long enough time frame, you can start to infer um, certain things about the process itself that is running. Wow, thanks, Taylor. That that helps a lot. Um, can you maybe talk a little bit more about how this would be exploited or um, what part of the system does it compromise? Yeah, it's a tricky one because I think, you know, in the in the wild exploits for this kind of thing are, are a lot more, <laughs> ironically, speculative than like, hey, here's a research paper that observes an adversary kind of using this to leak information and then and then do something else with it. Uh, the research folks here uh, kind of use this to infer some information around a, uh, <laughs> a cryptography uh, kind of implementation of trying to um, uh, like key encapsulation to, to kind of uh, 
wrap a key and uh, run processes on it. So they, they were able to infer information about the key itself um, that they should not have been able to get based off of the way that the uh, mechanism was designed. So um, when it comes to cryptography, like they're, you know, they've come up with something that's called super singular isogeny key encapsula- encapsulation or psych for short. Uh, this is something that's currently a finalist in the NIST's post-quantum cryptography competition. So I thought you were going to say it was a finalist in their tongue sick. twister competition. It really is. <laughs> uh, but yes, it has a, multiple industrial implementations that are out in the wild. Um, so, you know, they were able to infer some information about this that they should not have been able to. Um, but it, from a, like, um, you know, they were able to deliver the mitigation strategies to folks like Cloudflare and Microsoft uh, to kind of add some, really end up adding, adding some performance overhead <laughs> to mitigate this stuff. Um, but yeah, so, you know, from a like, hey, is this uh, something that's going to be deployed against uh, somebody right away? I think the level of access that you need is really tricky and the amount of time that you need to observe the differences. Like you kind of got to be right there looking at the the, like the, processor frequencies so you got to be watching things really closely and you need to see a ton of transactions um, to be able to get anything meaningful out of it so you've got to have a a lot of access already before you could deploy this type of thing um, in place but they they proved that it could work in theory uh, which then led to some of the mitigations out in the wild that we're seeing but the level of access you would need to weaponize this today is, is is quite a bit Oh, gotcha. And then, and then when you were um, laying out the acronym for Psych, I just figured out that Tim's name is probably alluding to that. Well, oddly enough, I was using it in the '80s. I fooled you, kind oh. of, uh, because of, because of the one that I'm doing. But it's it's pretty nice how it kind of applies to both. I I thought I for sure thought it once. Once Taylor mentioned psych again, because I, you know, I hadn't, I had kind of forgotten about it. I was just like, of course, that's what Tim's name means at the top of the show. But <laughs> it's like, he it figured... was more to the story. And, you know, it's, be... I mean, I, I don't, I don't care how much I reveal about my age. I'm a, I was a kid of the 80s, 70s and 80s, and uh, people said psych all the time. No, I'm, I mean, I'm a kid of the 90s, and I thought we said psych a lot, too. Yeah, it's it's probably been, you know, it's got some staying power for sure. Timeless. timeless. Oh, yeah. Psych oh, yeah. is timeless. I was like, oh, man, he thought of a way to, to work that in there, and I could not. And I was like, hats off to you, Tim. Um, all right. But maybe we should go back to our article. Um, so, so, Taylor, so you mentioned um, the researchers that, that you know, yeah. had put out this article. Maybe can we talk a little bit more about who, who these folks are and, you know, how they made this discovery? Yeah, so it was researchers from uh, University of Texas, Austin, and University of Illinois, I want to say Champlain, um, UIC, I hope, but (laughs) that they were exploring, uh, like, timing attacks on processors, um, and and then also brought, like, it was someone who's looking at the processor architecture side of things, and then also looking on the security side of things, and then so they uh, developed some, some theories around this and built a POC around it. Uh, and then reached out to the Intel team, um, who 
in, the, internally they had seen this. Again, this is not a like the theory behind this is not new. Like this stuff has been around for a couple of decades. The idea that you could infer stuff off of um, you know changes in frequency is is not a new thing. The idea that you could do so in the wild uh, is a little bit newer. So you know really. Uh, you know, those two groups got together, the research folks and the intel folks, um, and the research folks put together their kind of proof of concept around this and their, uh, their logoing and Hertz bleed and all that fun stuff. And then the intel team worked to develop some mitigation strategies for folks who are looking to avoid this type of thing. And so, um, you know, it's one of those things where uh, the research folks and the, it looks like the, the the, the processor, the, or the, sorry, the manufacturer side of this uh, kind of worked hand in hand to do some coordinated disclosure around this. Awesome. So, so in terms of mitigations techniques, um, uh-huh. can we talk a bit about that? Like what, what are the next yeah. steps to consider? <laughs> well, it is interesting because this is not a bug, right? So this is more of a feature than a bug uh, that is getting exploited. So it's one of those things where it's not completely you can't just patch it and be done uh, that'll never happen Uh, but really you have to think about when you're deploying uh, like keys and your uh, your assets into to various spots like how you go about calculating your your assets or calculating your keys Um, you know the their biggest recommendation is to introduce noise into that so that it is not easy to um, kind of watch it over and over again and observe differences in it, that there's a bit of randomness included in that. So that's one of their key mitigations. Um, you know, past that, again, the level of access required for an exploit like this is 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 a lot. So the folks who are really going to be worried about these types of things, and, and there are many of them, are probably sitting inside like, your AWSs, your GCEs, your Azure teams, right? So folks who are running large multi-tenant clouds for which they are responsible from hardware all the way on down uh, are, are the folks who are going to be paying attention to this stuff the most. Which is why you see Cloudflare and Microsoft were the first ones to deploy some of the mitigations, right? So, um, you know, anytime you're that, like, that is that, like, hey, if I can listen to a noisy or be, you know, listen to noisy neighbors and try and get information from them from, uh, you know, right next door, as it were, on the hardware or in the infrastructure, then that's the type of stuff that needs to be mitigated. Not necessarily like, hey, someone's going to sit next to your MacBook Pro and listen to it, calculate stuff for a few days and then, uh, and then you know, hand, hand the keys to your kingdom to somebody else. Um, although, look, I guess on a long enough time frame, anything's possible. Uh, but really, yes, you're, you're kind of large multi-tenant, like large scale uh, cloud providers are, are the ones who will be paying attention to this. Okay, I gotcha. So given this information um, and saying it, you know, it's more of a, a function and not a bug, how does that affect the hoodie rating, do you think? It is It is funny uh, in that, like, you know, you see a named exploit and a website for it and, like, you know, the potential to, to escape uh, or to get around uh, someone's cryptography and you think, oh, well, that's a, that's, that's a, a, you know, that should be like a super high hoodie rating. The, I think that the actual kind of potential value of this in the wild is, is a bit lower for now. Um, but this is again, one of those like kind of remains to be seen things, um, where, Hey, look right now, maybe we look at this and, and it doesn't seem all that serious, but something comes down the pike later and, and it looks, 
uh, in retrospect, like, oh, okay, they were able to kind of shake out these things that they weren't supposed to be able to get. Um, Do you think yeah, we're kind of like sewing the hoodie right now? Like, <laughs> yeah. we're piecing it well, together? Look, not, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to spoil my rating here. <laughs> Yeah, it like right like when as you're talking, I'm like, okay, I can see the seamstress like putting on the sleeves. Uh-huh. <laughs> she she's threading her bobbin. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, Taylor. So if you had to put a number on it for a hoodie rating at this point in time, and we can revisit it later, what what would you say? <laughs> I, for, I it's pretty low for me. Uh, again, this is one, uh, it, it, it's cool because it is, um, it's kind of out there <laughs> in terms of attacks. Uh, but you know, I think again, the, the level of, of access and, uh, required to successfully execute it are, are, are pretty high. So I'm going to go, man, it's got a good logo and a website that's got to get you two hoodies, I think. Uh, and then we'll do, well, I'll go 2.75 hoodies. Okay. That's like a hat. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, you know, a lot of it is just like, hey, there's not a whole, as an end user, there's not a whole heck of a lot you can do. The folks that, you know, can mitigate against this will be able to, um, and have known about this type of thing for a while. It's just specifically now that we know this, that this is possible, how do we go about frustrating it and making it, um, you know, less, less viable? Okay, that's fair. I think that's a fair assessment. What about what about you, Tim? What do you think? Oh, I think, you know, for stories like this, I think we're actually, we should be doing two separate ratings. One is the hoodie rating, and then one is just a, a an aesthetic rating of the logo for vulnerabilities that have logos. Because, <laughs> you know, as Taylor pointed out, I mean, you get a logo that, that, that means that's probably part of a hoodie at least. That means uh, we mean increase. business. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. You know, there's, I feel like there's this subculture of infosec people that are frustrated graphic designers that, uh, that are just waiting for some new vuln to come around and they, then they can make a logo for it. They're Do like, all right. That? I mean, it's it, a good one. Listen, y'all can get yeah. there at hurtsbleed.com. And, uh, yeah. I made a vulnerability logo one time. I mean, it wasn't, it never went anywhere. But remember bad USB? Of course. Well, the USB symbol looks a lot like a uh, Poseidon. Uh, what's that called? That triple prong? It's a trident. The trident? Trident. Thank you. Oh, yeah, trident. You know, it looks a lot like a trident. So I, I, made, a, I made one, but, you know, I, no one's going to confuse me with a graphic designer. I, I think the logo for Hertzbleed is too busy. There's too much going on. You know, I get what they're trying to do. <laughs> But uh, I, I don't, I, sorry, I don't give that a huge, hugely high logo rating, you know, probably about a four. My hoodie okay. rating for this maybe would also be about a four. And I think the reason it's a little bit higher than maybe Taylor's seeing it is, is because where I think you could potentially see this hurt in an interesting way, but we don't know that for sure, is like, one or two successful exploitations of it um, in the right place could be highly damaging. Um, you know, and I'm thinking uh, geopolitical type stuff, um, accessing state secrets that aren't already for sale on the dark web or whatever. Um, but 
you know, absent that, I agree. Like it, it's not, it's not looking like it's got a real easy way to be very widespread. There are some mitigations where it's absolutely necessary not to have any exposure to this, even though they're not great from a performance standpoint, et cetera. Yeah. Put me down for four. Perfect. I, I did have to look at the, um, the logo again, just to remind myself what it looks like. It is, it is busy. There's some, there's a lot going on here, but I do appreciate the effort. Yeah. I mean, they, they tried to cover, they tried to cover all kind of all the bases in a way, uh, which you got to give them some props for that, but it's logos are tricky. You know, they gotta be simple. I think, I think there's too much going on. They're just, they start to be like an icon and not a logo. It is true. Like, I see what they're going for here, right? You have the, the stopwatch. You've got the kind of processor frequency things changing in the middle. And then you have potential data leakage bleeding out of the bottom of it. And you got that little that, that little lightning bolt type thing. Yeah. To me, that's the that must be the processor. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's the that frequency. Down. Oh, but but it's also it's a clock. So I was thinking of the clock as the frequency. Well, that's your stopwatch because you've got a time. You got to get the timing on each of the processors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Right. So, yeah. So you got. Yeah, there's there's a lot in there. <laughs> they got a domain though. We like it when when there are domains for things. Heartbleed logo might be the best one. I don't know. It you was know simple. What? We'll have to do a that blog more post simple. where we stack rank where we stack rank uh, exploit logos. That sounds fun. We should do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we could do that. And 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 I do think. I mean, I think just whenever we decide to talk about an exploit that has a logo, we gotta do a quick critique. I, I do love how. On this show, every week we're just we're we're music experts, we're graphics experts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we also almost became milliners. We uh, are a bomb vivant here today. <laughs> so um so yeah all right um well thank you Taylor I I appreciate uh you know having this discussion I think uh I think we learned a lot for sure and and especially you know talking about uh more about the the logo and and you know the functions of this itself it's all very helpful and i'm sure we're going to keep an eye on this all right well we are going to take a quick break and then we will be back with more with tim helming all right and we're back and the next article we're going to discuss is Decoy Oyoyoy, which is uh, about two Chinese hacking groups conducting cyber espionage and stealing intellectual property from Japanese and Western companies, uh, deploying ransomware as a decoy to cover up uh, their malicious activities. So, uh, so Tim, this sentence seems so ridiculous when you say it out loud because ransomware was supposed to be the malicious activity. <laughs> So can you explain a little more about uh, how, how this tactic is used? I will. And, and before I start, I'll just say that when I, whenever I see the word or hear the word decoy, I think of duck decoys. And I wish I had a, a duck call sound. I, you know, I'm a, some, some of you know, I'm a concert percussionist. I play in orchestras and concert bands and stuff like that. And we have to have all these sound effects. It's not just drums and cymbals and xylophones and stuff. It's also, we do all the sound effects, including duck calls sometimes, but I don't have one. 
Oh, so man. sorry, folks. Maybe I'll maybe I'll see if I can find a sound library with a duck call and throw it in there. Well, when, well, maybe now. whenever we say the word decoy in this episode, there should be a, a, a duck quack. Tim, you have no idea how badly I want to get you for Secret Santa if we do Secret Santa. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, we could decide. We're just the Breaking Badness team is going to do our own Secret Santa. Who cares if somebody else does? That's true. Because. You've just made it incredibly easy to make you the happiest person. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, okay, let's talk about what's uh, what's going on here. Uh, there is a decoy in fact, at work. Um, and the situation is, you know, ransomware, of course, is a big, spectacular, exciting thing. Not spectacular in a good way, obviously. It's newsworthy. Everybody pays attention. So... If you're a defender and you get uh, signs or even conclusive proof that there is a ransomware infection going on in your organization, that that gets 100% of your attention, right? I mean, that's a that's a pretty big deal. And so, I think an IR team is not necessarily expecting that when they're dealing with a ransomware event, there's a whole other event going on at the same time. But uh, so they're they're basically they're just covering their tracks they are um really their objective has much more to do with intellectual property theft um and potentially uh, uh financial type theft but the ransomware is just to distract uh the defenders gotcha so so how often do you think this type of activity is used is is it on the rise well it's not really entirely clear um how widespread this is, you know, how quickly it's evolving or picking up speed. And don't forget that if APT groups or, or anybody that it happens to be successful by uh, doing this, then we may not know yet. So it may be underreported, possibly. I, I don't think too, too deeply underreported, but um, that we know that there was an incident in 2018 where there were some uh, wipers deployed uh, against a Chilean bank. And what was really going on is it was using the SWIFT system to uh, steal a bunch of money from that bank. And then more recently, of course, we saw in the days before, uh, actually the day, I believe, before the Russian invasion of Ukraine, there was uh, another wiper type attack um, that didn't ultimately have real huge effects, you know, especially didn't, didn't affect the direction of that war. But um, it was another example of, you know, doing something very attention grabbing before something else happened. Now, you know, and I don't know if I would count the article that we, we cite here, you'll be able to see in the show notes, it, it talks about that, uh, um, that second one, the one, the Russians uh, leading up to the invasion. But, you know, I think when they'd been massing their military near the borders of Ukraine for a couple of months, I don't think uh, there were a lot of people that didn't notice they were going to show up. Gotcha. Thanks, Tim. So how were these latest activities discovered? Sure. So SecureWorks has been studying a couple of of activity groups. One is uh, called Bronze Riverside, and that's APT41. And then Bronze Starlight, APT10, and um, they 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 share some common tooling. And one of the uh, examples of that is that they use the HUI loader to 
deploy uh, various kinds of goodies, uh, remote access Trojans, PlugX, Cobalt Strike, uh, Quasar Rat. Um, I guess that's in addition to other uh, potential rats. So I mentioned HUI loader, and what that is, is it's this custom DLL loader. Uh, name comes from a string that's in that loader itself. But basically, um, the malware is loaded by legit programs, which are vulnerable to DLL search order hijacking. And so this HUI loader decrypts and loads uh, another file, which has an encrypted payload that's also deployed uh, to the compromised host. Now, in March of this year, uh, SecureWorks saw that Bronze Starlight, that's the one that's APT10, uh, they leveraged Cobalt Strike to deploy ransomware uh, strains. Uh, the ones that they observed were Lockfile, Atom Silo, Rook, Night Sky, and Pandora, which isn't just a music service, folks. Um, and they've, they've used a newer version of that HUI loader. Now, one of the things I like about this story is infrastructure comes into play. It's the Achilles heel yet again, because, and this is one of the ways that researchers start to uh, tease apart what's actually going on here. So the configuration of Cobalt Strike beacons um, in three uh, distinct attacks where uh, Atom Silo, Night Sky, and Pandora were all involved, that revealed a shared command and control uh, IP address. And then, so that same source was also used for uploading samples of uh, HUI loader to VirusTotal as, you know, part of that QA process that always goes on these days. So uh, part of the tip-off for SecureWorks was there was activity that, you know, just didn't pass the sniff test. So the, uh, both the, the activity of uh, Lockfile, Atom Silo, uh, Rook, Night Sky, Pandora, as well as the victimology in these attacks were kind of unusual um, compared to your typical financially motivated ransomware operations, um, targeting a small number of victims over a short period of time, and then just abandoning it. So behaviorally speaking, that was a clue. So anyway, between the, the, the tooling and some of the behaviors, that started to tip them off that there was something else going on here. Gotcha. That makes sense. So, um, so we know, you know, how they were discovered, but do we know, are, are there typical targets for attacks like these? Yeah, we don't know a lot of specific details, but in general, um, according to SecureWorks, it is Western as well as Japanese companies that seem to be the principal targets. Not a huge surprise with uh, China being the suspected actor here uh, or state behind these actors, but yeah. Western companies, Japanese companies. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense too. And I feel like I might know the answer to this, but what do we want to do to protect ourselves from attacks like these? Well, yeah, so here's where some, I, in my opinion, some advanced uh, IR tabletops um, and or at threat modeling exercises and really both of those together um, could pay off. So defenders have to think about the fact that you know, a given attack may not be the only thing that's going on at that time, even if that, uh, that first attack that they noticed is a pretty big deal. You know, this all reminds me of this thing that kids used to do. I guess they probably still do this on the playground or, or in a snow fight where they, they toss one snowball or rock or whatever it is they're chucking at you on this high arcing path toward you. So you got to watch and, you know, evade it. And while you're looking up at the first one they threw, then they hook a fastball straight at you. And uh, that's how they get you. Tim, what, so what, 
playground are you at? Oh, you know, I I I was raised by wolves. We did strange things. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> this sounds like pretty mean streets. Yeah, I remind me to tell you about the time that my schoolmates and I all started like fully throwing rocks at each other. We weren't even mad at each other. We just decided, you know, it's like Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies is, you know, is real. I mean, it's not literally real, but the phenomena are real. And, uh, you know, we're a bunch of kids. I think we were stir crazy. We were on a long bus trip. I think that's what happened. Anyway, that's a thing. You throw the one thing up high and then you throw the other one bullet straight at the, it, you know, you can do a gentle version of it in a snow fight. That's it's kind of a timing attack in a way, wouldn't you it say? It is a timing attack. That's a really good point. We might have to have a logo for it. Uh, but anyway, that's what's going on here. They're all looking at the ransomware. And while they're distracted by that, of course, something else is going on uh, behind. So uh, so you sort of need to have somebody that's part of the incident response. And I don't want to suggest that this never happens. I just think that it's important to be uh, thinking about this. Somebody that's part of that team needs to be sitting a little bit off to the side, um, metaphorically speaking, and asking, what, what else are we not seeing while our hair is on fire? And while we're dealing with all this really obvious stuff, let's assume that there might be something else going on um, and that this is, in fact, a decoy type situation and be sure that we're that our, our shields are up and that our sensors are up for something else that doesn't quite fit the pattern of the main event that they're looking at. So, you know, we're all overloaded, unfortunately, on the defender side of the ledger, but we do have to stay vigilant for a double whammy like this one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, well, given the double whammy nature of it, uh, does that make up for a higher hoodie rating? This is uh, kind of a tricky one in that it doesn't look like it's crazy widespread. There are certainly some indicators now that you can be looking for, um, for the, the superficial ransomware attack that may be hiding the other attack behind it. Um, and we are not, yeah, because we're not aware that it's very widespread right now, I'm going to put this one at, I, this is boring because I gave the same rating last time, but I'm going to give it a four. Yeah, that is boring. No, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will. 3.89752 repeating. No, I don't That's where I'm at. <laughs> So the last show I was on, every everything got a ten. <laughs> no, I, no, it was high, but, <laughs> it, but uh, no, I will, I will accept that. It's mostly, it's, I want to say, so it's probably like it's the body of a hoodie, maybe sleeves off, like it's that one kid from the Goonies, is what I'm thinking, maybe. Well, it's let's put it this way. I mean, it's it's pretty close to four hoodies, but I want it to be not quite the same just to make it more interesting. So, but it's it's it it's almost that. So, I'm just going to say the drawstring came off in the laundry. Perfect. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's three hoodies plus one drawstringless. We hoodie. know how hard that is to get back in there. I don't know how many milli hoodies the drawstring is worth, but it's it's not that many. Not many. No. What about you, Taylor? What say you? It, you know, it is an in- interesting uh, technique to see. It's kind of like committing an arson to hide a murder. <laughs> uh, um, 
So that's kind of uh, interesting. I don't, I'll go like, yeah, I'll just go three and a half, three and a half hoodies. It, you know, it's not, um, it wasn't anything super novel, but definitely like in terms of like, oh yeah, this could be done as well. Oh, that's interesting. We'll go three and a half hoodies. You know, since you mentioned an, uh, lighting an arson fire to cover up a murder, you all did see that story recently, right? Where the person who had written the book called How to Murder Your Husband has, in fact, been convicted of, guess what? Murdering yes. her husband. Wow. Really? It, True story. I think that's, it's it's not funny, but it's funny. Yeah. I mean, truth is stranger than fiction. That's true. I can't wait. Art imitates life, imitates art. I can't wait for I, that. You know, what I don't know, I mean, I didn't read enough of the, the article about it to really get into this, but uh, did she use the, in fact, the recipe that she lays out in the book? Or did she murder her husband in a different way? Because if she deviated from it, mm. then, you know, you would say, well, if she wanted to get away with it, she should have stuck to what she knew and done what the book said. But if she did what the book said, then we know that the that it's not that effective because she got caught. Can you request a refund on the book now? That's a really good point. It doesn't I mean, work. <laughs> yeah, this doesn't work. <laughs> Zero out of five stars would yeah. not recommend. Yeah, I'm gonna do a chargeback. I always feel weird about Googling things like that. Cause then like, am I on some list if I Google that? It's just like, I just wanna read that article. Or I just want to watch the TV show, How to Get Away with Murder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think maybe you have to put that whole thing into the Google query. I just want to watch the TV show, How to Get Away with Murder. What time is that show I promise I'm not planning any real murders. I I just want to see Viola Davis carry this show. Absolutely. You're going to be fine. Well, you can just use DuckDuckGo anyway. Uh, interesting. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, okay. So, all right. Maybe um, thank you so much, Tim, first of all, for, for, for walking us through that. Um, great, great article. Uh, we will continue to, uh, you know, keep on the uh, lookout for new developments. But uh, maybe right now we'll take a short break. Say, friend, are you enjoying Breaking Badness? You know, we haven't done this before, but we're going we're gonna to ask you to do a couple of things, if you don't mind, dear listener. And one of them is, I want you to picture a friend, one friend who maybe is interested in the InfoSec world. And we would really appreciate it if you would recommend Breaking Badness directly to that one friend. You don't have to think up five or ten or... 11.168 friends, just one would be just fine. And we'd love it if you would do that. And likewise, now the part that everybody says, if you enjoy Breaking Badness, will you go out there and give us a rating and uh, maybe write a review? We're always interested in that kind of feedback. So thank you for that. And now back to the show. All right. And we're back. So we are at the point in the show where we get to play our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. And I believe this week, uh, Taylor Wilkes-Pierce, you are up at bat for uh, for lying to us. Woo! Here we go. Okay. Two Truths and a Lie. I'll read these out. And then y'all will determine which one I made up, if any of them. 
as we learned the last time I was on, that you, you can do all So much treachery. That was, from, wasn't that yeah, Leave it to a CISO to do that, right? Last yeah. week where um, yeah. Daniel Schwabe had all truths. And they he were, turned precedent on its head. Yeah, but and it's like all of the all of the headlines were equally crazy sounding. Uh, he totally Kobayashi Maru'd this game. Yeah, which you know you do. Okay, you have here to we hand go. It to him, but anyway, continue. <laughs> Taught me a thing or two. That's why there's three truths here now. Now, <laughs> okay. For, first, first article title here. We go. Um, Fancy Bear scaring up targets with a nuclear threat lure and one-click exploits. Second headline title. NSO Group assets purchased by a subsidiary of Oracle. Third, APT groups are leveraging Log4j to gain access to VMware environments, according to CISA. I want to believe that third one was true. I wouldn't lie about CISA. I know, but oh, but then you said that. You might lie about CISA. I mean, you're sort of almost forced to lie. This this almost sounds like it's also three truths, but I'm thinking that Taylor wouldn't do that right on the heels of Daniel doing it. Wait. A, a copycat crime, so to speak. I, I don't I don't see that. I don't see Tay doing that. Yeah, it could be. I wondered about that, too. I feel like at least one of these, I have a sense, might be one of the old, it's a true story, but we've changed part of it to make it a lie. Uh, and, all right, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. I I feel like the third one might be the lie, because I thought that I saw a warning like that, but I didn't think it was related to VMware environments, so we'll see. I don't know. That's that's my hunch. Hey Taylor, can you read the second one again? Uh, yes, I'll, I'll go through all three. So first one, uh, Fancy Bear scaring up targets with nuclear threat lures and one-click exploits. Uh, the second one was NSO Group uh, assets per, have been purchased by a subsidiary of Oracle. And the third one is APT groups are leveraging Log4j to gain access to VMware environments, according to CISA. I think the second one is is the lie. Final answer. You got it, Callie. What? Oh my gosh. Yes. What? So, they, so Tim, it is, it is pretty new, but they are leveraging uh, Log4Shell to gain access to VMware Horizon. Uh, I thought it was related uh, to uh, some kind of critical infrastructure, which maybe it still is. But I, Yeah, I'm sure some of those yeah, things are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Fancy Bear is up to their tricks again. Uh, and the NSO Group assets—they might be—they'll probably get bought by somebody, but they have not yet been purchased by a subsidiary of Oracle. That's one that that could come true tomorrow and would surprise absolutely nobody. Yeah, I sort of thought I had heard something about that because uh, I know they're up for sale, but obviously I didn't. They're in trouble. Yeah, so there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of, of uh, rumors floating around. Well. Well done, Kelly. Oracle wants to get in that. Game. Yes. And well done, ba, Taylor. Taylor. Oh yeah. Although I don't think I don't think football is a other than the way the rest of the world defines football is an Olympic sport. In fact, I don't think it is. Maybe I, next time. I stuck that landing though, and these 
these points count toward Kelsey's points, I believe. She will be so happy. Oh, she's going to be so happy. <laughs> so that's, Not that she needs them for crying out I, loud. Can, can you guys explain to me really quick, how did she pull ahead so far? Like what? Because she's like fearfully smart. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. like, but, think... but there haven't been so many episodes. It feels like where she should have this many points. Oh well. I mean, I mean, what can we say? She, you know, she is that good. She is that good. And yeah. luckily, like her bench is pretty strong too. Apparently. Clearly. It Part is. of it's also I'm very bad, so I think I give points to her. I'm I almost am in that category as well. Um well, and I just, you know, I did. I didn't give her a point this time. I gave Tay a point. Woo. <laughs> well, this has been really fun and not just because I won the game. Uh But mostly because m- of that, right? It's you know, <laughs> it really does put a cherry on top of this whole experience. <laughs> No, but seriously, this has been fun talking with you both. I had a great time. and I uh, did too. Oh, that's good. Well, we um, listeners, we are actually off uh, next week uh, for the holiday, but we will be returning on July 13th, I think with, you know, the regular crew, the regular uh, crew of Tim, Kelsey, and Taylor. So, um, so be sure to come back for that. And if you haven't, if you're um, not caught up, on uh, previous episodes, you know, uh, be sure to catch up. We've had some great guests in the past couple weeks. So, you know, be sure to tune into those. Um, But thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And I hope you have a great day. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.